greetings and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Spencer Flurry. Now, Spencer has written an interesting book about a guy who fakes his own death and then does what uh, no one in their right mind would actually do and uh, goes to his own funeral. Uh, and here's some things that uh, that make it a little bit difficult for him to just ride off into the sunset as planned. So we're going to talk to Spencer and hear more about that and uh, a few other things. Uh, that's coming right up after I remind you that Wrong Place Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If that's something that you like, you can find out more at their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's Down and Out Books, all spelled out, dot com, Down and Out Books. Take the journey with us. All right, so an interesting premise for uh, Spencer's new book. Uh, let's jump in and uh, talk to him. Well, hey, Spencer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Frank. It's great to be here. So you come highly recommended. <laughs> uh, uh, one of our mutual friends uh, and uh, colleagues, Eric uh, Pruitt, did a pretty bang-up blurb for your, for your book. In fact, it's so good, I'm, I'm going to read it. Uh, he says, Spencer Fleury busts out of the gate in a frenzy with a dark comic debut that will have you ripping through pages much like he wrote them in a maniac's glee. You won't be able to put it down until the final satisfying conclusion. Now, coming from a guy like Eric, that's pretty high praise indeed, because that guy knows funny. Oh, he does. He and, and he knows uh, he knows maniacs glee. He knows uh, how to <laughs> ramp up tension. I mean, when he sent me that when he sent me that blurb, my first thought was, damn, I really hope the book lives up to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, although I did check out the first chapter, uh, which, folks, is available on uh, Spencer's website if you want to get a taste of the book. And, you know, you definitely fall into that uh, – gritty but funny or funny but gritty however you want to look at it uh crime fiction uh it's very apparent some of the things that uh, alton thinks and says in that first chapter really set the tone yeah i thank you um that's no that's that's a that's a great place to start it's a great compliment i, I do appreciate that i feel that humor uh is important um in pretty much any kind of fiction, I, I always look for that. I think that the reason it's so prominent in my own uh, work, even even when it gets gritty, is uh, I think the first two authors I read who inspired me to try to write fiction at all were uh, Douglas Adams and Carl Hyacin. And of course, they both have that that humor aspect ramped mm -hmm. up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't consider myself a Carl Hyacin clone, even though uh, my book is set in Florida, as are as I think all of his works, uh, at least all the ones that I've read. But uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I feel like there's a place for that. There's a place to, there, you, com you can combine both halves of that coin, you know, the, the, the funny and the gritty. And I think you can come out with something that it approximates real life because we get both of those, uh, we get both of those elements, whether we want them or not, at, at times that we, you know, we can't decide whether we want them or not. Well, both provide a real palate cleanser for the other uh, as well. 
And, yeah. and anytime you've read a book that's just 100% grit, it you know it loses its impact because it's the same note over and over again. Same thing with right. just everything trying to be funny; it it loses uh, loses its edge if it's if, if there is if it isn't broken up. Sure. Uh, yeah, I would be remiss before we dive into your background and this book, which we haven't actually mentioned yet, is uh, "How I'm Spending My Afterlife" is the title. Uh, I, I should point out you had another pretty glowing review on there. This one's a little suspect, though. It comes from a guy named Bob Flurry, who is uh, noted as the the co-creator of Spencer Flurry. Now, that has got to be probably the most inventive way to get your your dad's quote on the book on the website. That's that's pretty good. Well, when he sent, you know, when he sent me that reaction after he read uh, the early, you know, the, the earlier drafts of it, um, you know, long before it was actually published, I thought, yeah, that's I'm going to keep that. That's just perfect uh, <laughs> because it's true. <laughs> he writes fiction himself um, and he doesn't tend to include uh, the same kind of language. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, for folks who haven't been on the website, the uh, quote about the book from Bob Flurry, co-creator of Spencer Flurry, is that it contains about a thousand more fucks than I would have included. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I almost would have expected that to come from your mom, but uh, he's going against type here. That's awesome. Yeah, I would have expected that too, but uh, you know... They're, 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 they're a unique couple. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, well, I want to talk about the book, uh, but we, uh, we always like to delve into the person a little bit here on the show. You have an interesting list of, uh, of careers or jobs anyway. Um, and I just wanted to touch base on a couple of them real quick uh, and, and how they're – because there's, it's very eclectic. I mean, and, and the three I'm talking about in particular are sailor, copywriter, and econ professor. Now, I guess <laughs> the latter two are a little closer, but how, how does one person end up doing all three of those things? By having no real direction in life, essentially, <laughs> is how that works out. Um, and having a very short attention span. Those are, I think those are my two, uh, my two issues in getting ahead in business or anything else, as, as they say. No, I, am, I was a sailor. I joined the Coast Guard, actually, right out of college. I graduated into the teeth of a pretty brutal recession. And, um, you know, my parents, who we've already mentioned, were basically done with having me live at home. So I, you know, I kind of had to scramble to, um, to make things work. I'm not the kind of person who does real well with um, roommate situations where I don't know the person already. So, you know, answering one of those ads in, uh, you know, in, in the paper or Craigslist or whatever uh, for a roommate was not really on my radar. Of course, what I ended up with is about 20 roommates who I didn't know <laughs> at all. So maybe I wasn't really thinking this through. <laughs> maybe I wasn't really thinking it through. But I spent two years on a ship, the, uh, the Campbell, which was based uh, in New Bedford, Massachusetts. It was about a 270 foot long cutter. We had about a hundred guys on board, uh, went out for about six weeks at a time back in port for about two months at a stretch. So that was my life for a couple of years. And in fact, I actually, uh, that, that's the, the novel that, that I finished writing a little earlier this year was based very loosely on, uh, on, on those experiences. So yeah, that was, um, that's where that one came from. As far as, um, copywriter and econ professor um yeah it's i you know i'm a writer i've always 
been I've always played with words, even when when I was uh, when I was young, before I really had a, an idea to write fiction seriously or write anything else seriously. Uh, and my dad was um, in the advertising game for a long time. So I just kind of picked up an appreciation for good copywriting. And, you know, I, I was good enough to, you know, scam a job out of a, a couple of places, even with no formal credits. Uh, and I can, I, you know, I did that for a number of years until I decided to go back to school. Uh, when I did that, the first thing that I studied was econ. And, uh, you know, with a master's degree in econ, you actually can teach at a lot of places, you know, at, at the college level. You're not like a full professor or mm -hmm. anything like that, but it'll get you in the door. Whereas with a lot of other uh, disciplines, that doesn't work. And, I, you know, that's because if you've got a master's in econ, they assume you can get a better job than <laughs> teaching uh, teaching as an adjunct at uh, uh, St. Petersburg College, which is where I was, I was doing that. Still, you have to admit that's a pretty eclectic uh, lineup of jobs there. That's kind of a neat for one yeah. person to experience those. And I guess your your geography is just as eclectic. I mean, if I was going to think of the three cities that were the most unlike each other, I, I can't imagine picking Detroit, basically any city in Florida, but it sounds like St. Petersburg is where you were at, and then San Francisco. I mean, the ocean the opposite ocean, of course, but the ocean <laughs> at least is one commonality and a big lake for another. But mm -hmm. uh, other than that, those are some very different locations. But I guess that probably comes back to your writing there and it gives you some really good uh, experience for setting and so forth. Yeah, sure. I think I think that's true. Um, I've always been very interested just in place as a concept because after I got after I was done with studying econ, I, I, I kept at it and I was studying geography in a grad school setting. So yeah, I, I always try to make place uh, to put that very front and center in any fiction that I'm working on. Uh, with how I'm spending my afterlife, that's set in. Not quite the Tampa Bay area, but some, but a place that's based very heavily on it. I wanted to have a little bit more freedom with the geography to make, uh, you know, to make the story work the way that I wanted it to. And I, you know, I'll tend to do that uh, sometimes, but other times I will. Uh, I'll, I'll feel it's important to be a little bit more faithful to the actual place uh, that I'm writing about. But yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, very different experiences in all three of those spots. I mean you know, close to a body of water. So I guess that's like one of the things they, uh, you know, one of the things they look for with serial killers. Oh, he likes to kill near bodies of water. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's just a gene that never quite developed in me. I just like being near bodies of water. I don't know. Well, culturally, they're very different places. I mean, very, oh, yeah. none of them like the other. I mean, I guess if you had moved to like Omaha, Nebraska, then you probably would have gotten all four corners of the country there. But um, in terms of culture styles, but I mean, very different, very, you know, you've got a very urban place, uh, Florida, while it's built up in places, it strikes me as a pretty laid back uh, sort of culture. And then San Francisco's just, you know, San Francisco. It, it definitely is. You can. I don't know if you can hear the sirens happening uh, outside my window right now, but I this can't. happens. Okay, see, this happens every time I record a podcast with somebody. Every <laughs> single time it's happened, um, we get the sirens. But yeah, it's they. They are very different places. I mean, Detroit to Tampa, St. Petersburg. That's a straight shot down I seventy five. So when I lived there, you know, we moved there when I was a kid, about uh, twelve years old or so. 
there were other people from Michigan there. But even then, I noticed that there was a difference between, you know, somebody from Flint or Grand Rapids and somebody from Detroit and, the, and, and that area. It's it was. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of little geographical uh, a little uh, geographical blips like that. But yeah, Florida, I don't, I'm not entirely sure I would call it laid back at this point. <laughs> There's a reason Florida man is a national stereotype these days. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's crazy there. It's, it's, um, it might not be as crazy as some other people, but uh, it's got, you know, it's got a rep. And from my experience, Florida did a pretty good job of living up to it most of the time. Kind of like San Francisco, but the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of uh, politics and social issues. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say so. I mean, yeah, there, there's, there's still craziness here in San Francisco, but everybody tells me I missed the, um, you know, the, the, the great era of this city. Uh, I've been here for, <laughs> I've been here for seven years, and it's, you know, it's mostly been in the, uh, you know, in the midst of, of the, the tech takeover of the, uh, of the town, and so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of bemoaning the loss of old San Francisco, which I completely understand. I still think it's a wonderful place to be. I'm you know, I've been here for seven years. Uh, in fact, I've been here for seven years today. This is this is my seventh anniversary of moving to San Francisco on the date of this recording. So, but I'm still learning uh, about this city. I'm still finding out new things, making new discoveries, um, and uh, being surprised by what it can do, both good and bad. <laughs> Someone else who really captured San Francisco, at least in the past uh, version of it, you know, Christopher Moore did a really good job in, in noir, I think, of, of capturing an, a, a moment in time of the city. Yeah, there's always been some great – there's been a lot of great noir written about this city. Um I mean, a lot of it's in that uh, you can find a lot of it in the, those two volumes from Akashic Books, the San Francisco noir stuff. If uh, you know, if people aren't familiar, um, but yeah, it's a, it's it is a it's a colorful city and it can be a dark city. There are lots of places to hide and lots of places that you know most people will never find, uh, never know about. Uh, and and I, I think that there are there, yeah, you're right. There have been. A number of writers who've done a really good job of of showing that side of the city. Well, it's beautiful there too. Uh, I mean, the Golden Gate Bridge is a, just I mean, the first time you see it in person. It's like blows you away. Um, but oh, yeah. how I'm spending my afterlife is set in Florida. So let's let's swing back down into the Sunshine State. Um, <laughs> so here's Alton, and the premise of this book has him trying something. Uh, pretty interesting. And then it gets more interesting once he tries it. Now, I'm trying to be a little bit coy here because I want to let you set it up. Uh, but people will see what I mean as you as you lay out the premise. Sure. Well, yeah, Alton, he's, you know, he's a lawyer. And like many lawyers, he's a little crooked. Um, you know, he's been stealing from his firm, from his clients for some time. But now the government is on to him. And rather than uh, face the consequences of what he's done or hire a lawyer to defend him or any of that, he decides the best thing to do is to take that money that he's stolen, uh, stage his own death and then light out for Costa Rica. So the, you know, the first part of that staging his own death that goes that goes without a hitch. Uh, everybody believes that he's gone, but um, he can't, for whatever reason, quite bring himself to leave town uh, until he's actually gotten to witness his own funeral. So he sticks around for that, and that's when things uh, start to go a little bit uh, sideways for him. That's when he realizes that uh, no, he was not the 
the pillar of the of the legal community that he thought he was, or at least his his friends and associates do not actually perceive him that way. That he did not really have the admiration uh, and, uh, and and undying love and respect of uh, of his wife Nicole. And essentially, he's forced to come to terms with the fact that, no, he's actually not the person that he thought he was and nobody ever told him. But rather than coming to terms with this in a way that leads to personal growth and embetterment and all of that, um, he decides that he's going to um, make life miserable for Nicole from beyond the grave. And that's that's when um, things start to take their, uh, I guess, their inevitable turn towards uh, towards the conclusion of the book. So a little bit of uh, narcissism and certainly some egocentric behavior right off of the bat, not just oh, yeah. the stealing, but, uh, but it is interesting. I wonder um, how many people have ever thought of what it would be like to attend your own funeral, you know? And, and I, I imagine that that is a a common fear that people have that like uh, the people that I think like me don't really like me. The people that I think love me don't really love me. I'm not seen the way I see myself. I mean, that's uh, that doesn't strike me as an uncommon worry that people might have. Oh yeah, I agree. I think that's very common. I think uh, we as human beings are just programmed to second guess a lot of that stuff about our existence, our, our lives and the people in it. And I think what I was trying to do is take that very common uh, insecurity and take that very, I, I think it's a very common thing to wonder what your own funeral would be like at one point or another. I think most people have done this. I think I personally grew out of it after, you know, my teenage years, you know, being mopey and and uh, and gloomy and everything. But I don't know if that's the case for everybody. But I wanted to take those two things and combine them and then explore what would happen if the worst case scenario turned out to be the truth. And that and not not just that, but if the worst case scenario turned out to be the truth for a person with no inner center, no real compass guiding him other than uh, other than his own sense of of self-worth that of course has been shattered by this this revelation so he had a very external locus of control and he, he very much got his affirmation from how people felt about him as opposed to how he felt about himself which right. th that makes total sense that it would shatter him and of course this is this is a noir or neo-noir sort of hard-boiled book. And uh, we all know that means it's going to go down a couple of dark roads uh, and most likely into uh, to a dead end with <laughs> with a garbage can that somebody gets shoved in, bleeding. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it, it does go down some dark roads. I don't want to give uh, too much away about, about the ending or anything like that. But yeah, it does get progressively darker for, uh, for Alton um, and, you know, for Nicole as well. Well, and I, I think it's in the description of the book. So no, no big spoiler here, but you know, his, his wife's obviously moved on before he was gone. Um, right. and so there's that to deal with. Um, and, and that of course, I guess explains a little bit more why he might want to get some revenge. Um, I mean, all he did was steal money, right? And, uh, <laughs> so this a lot, but yes. a, a lot of money <laughs> and probably from the wrong people. So this came out in September. Um, right. and, and we're recording this in November. So it's been out for a couple of months. You've got some good reviews. You've got some good blurbs. Uh, you gotta be feeling good about it. 
Yeah, I am feeling uh, I'm feeling really good about it. The The thing about this book is I had actually originally uh, self-published it a few years back. And it was only when I was querying uh, publishers about uh, a different project, uh, Woodhall Press saw this bit in my biography about um, having a self-published book and they wanted to read that. They wanted to know a little bit more about, you know, where it had sold well versus where, you know, there might be room for market growth and all the things that business uh, people and number crunchers are supposed to worry about. But they really liked it and they wanted to run with this one. Um, and so I was thrilled with that. I, I, I had kind of come to the conclusion that this book had um, run its course, but it's great to have it uh, have a second life uh, with Woodhall. They've they've uh, they've done me very well with this. Uh, well, now before we go, um, I did want to touch on something you mentioned earlier, and that is that you're working on a second book now, uh, loosely based on your Coast Guard experiences. Do you have a, a title and a synopsis for that yet, or are you still too early? Um, yeah, I mean, I could share that one's actually, that one's actually done. I've been sending it out. It's called, I can almost taste the sea. That is the working title. I've changed the title so many times with this one. It's really difficult. Uh, it is about, um, the, a, a young, uh, coast guardsman, Colin McAllister, um, one day when the crew is having R and R on a very small deserted Caribbean island, he happens to discover the dead body of the the more popular, more senior uh, Coast Guardsman, the gunner's mate, second class Fred Sobel, on the other side of the island. Um, this is a problem for McAllister because he's an outcast, he's unpopular, he's a stoner with a smart mouth, so that tends to lead to a lot of ass kickings. And essentially, the book is about how he manages to navigate uh, navigate that process of being a suspect uh, in this popular sailor's death while um, most of the crew basically hates him uh, already. So uh, that one is pretty much done. And then I am working on a third one that uh, I just uh, I've had an idea for for a while Um that one's set in Florida again, and uh, the working title of that one is The System Can Never Fail, It Can Only Be Failed. So that's where I'm at. Well, with such a uh, rich environment there in San Francisco, I have to guess it's only a matter of time before you, you were working on a book that's set there. Oh, for sure. For sure. I've got a few ideas. They're just a little further down the list. Uh, well, folks, the uh, book is how I'm spending my afterlife. Uh, the author is Spencer Flurry. Uh, this book's been out since September. So grab yourself a copy. And uh, Spencer, I want to tell you, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been, uh, this has been a great time. I, I, I've enjoyed talking with you. All right, folks, there you go. Spencer Flurry and his new book. I told you it was an interesting premise. And I'm glad I got a chance to talk to him about it. Nice guy. And uh, like I said, uh, I read the beginning of the book already, uh, and it, it starts off uh, really well. And uh, the guy can write. It's uh, got a great voice to it. Uh, so definitely check that out. On our next episode of Wrong Place, Right Crime, I am welcoming uh, an old friend to the show, uh, Kevin Tipple who is an author and a reviewer. Uh, so some of you may know him from Kevin's Corner, his blog, where he uh, does a lot of reviews. Uh, he's also very active in the Short Mystery Fiction Society and uh, just a tireless promoter of other writers. So I thought it was time that uh, he got a little bit of promotion, uh, both for his reviewing and uh, he's also a writer. So that's next episode on A Wrong a Place or Right Crime. Zephyro update for you. 
As I mentioned on the last episode, my new River City novel, A Dirty Little Town, uh, book seven in that series, is now available. Also, on the day that this episode drops, the 1st of December 2021, my Stefan Copriva mystery series is on sale. You can get Waist Deep, the first book in the series, for free, and the second and third book in the series are 99 cents each. Uh, or you can pick up the entire box set for $2.99, and that has a couple of Copriva short stories in it that fill in a couple of gaps uh, that occur between the novels. And in other news, I do want to remind you that the anthology A Bag of Dicks is now available. And before you get offended, that is a reference to a bag of hamburgers from Dick's Burgers, which is an iconic burger place in Spokane, Washington. And I guess there's one in Seattle as well, so it's got quite a Pacific Northwest flavor. Uh, This is a 509 crime anthology edited by Colin Conway, and it's got some great authors in it, all of whom wrote stories that uh, sprang forth from the setup in the prologue. And I'd encourage you just to go online and read that prologue because uh, you can can read that for free there on Amazon, uh, and you'll see what the authors were all presented with as a jumping off point for their stories. Uh, My story is called Cold and Greasy which uh, I think probably fits the burger motif pretty well. (laughs) All right. I want to say thanks to Spencer for coming on the show and Down and Out Books for sponsoring the show. And as always, uh, you, the listener, for being here, for listening to these podcasts and checking out these authors. If Spencer's work sounds like something you might enjoy, please jump on it. Give it a try. And I hope you'll join me next week when we talk to Kevin Tipple. Until then. This is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to rag crime. 